0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: I'm I'm the plant manager here. Pretty hard to, I don't know, it'll be pretty hard to climb out of anything higher than that. Heck, I gotta be out on the floor all day. You know i don't see a life where i'm going to be just able to sit at a desk and you know direct people
0: this is swarfcast i'm noah Graf. today's podcast is part one of a two-part interview we did with wes Spendowski, plant manager at wyandotte industries a 60 year old screw machine shop in wyandotte michigan founded by his grandfather West gave me the inside scoop of what it takes to run a high production shop floor. We talked about getting the most out of employees, updating equipment, and his mission to not waste the company's money. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. Here we go. We are honored to have Wes Spandowski on the show. Welcome to Swarfcast, Wes.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I have uh, known Wes for quite a while. He's been a contributor over the years to uh, today's machining world, shop doc. He's often uh, been a very um, creative, technical person. Yeah, it's great to reconnect. So what I want to do first is uh, talk about Wyandotte, uh, the company, and also get your story. I know the, I'm sure the two are quite intertwined. Uh, but first of all, what is uh, Wyandotte?
1: Well, we started off in uh, 1959. Uh, my, my grandfather worked for another company, and he was a plant manager at another company, and the other company where he was working they they decided they wanted to focus on a on a particular market and and get rid of the market that uh they were in they had cold headers and they had screw machines and they made fasteners it was a company called detroit diamond and my grandpa felt that uh the market that they were abandoning was a good market to be in and the market that they were going in was a market that maybe you didn't want to be in. So the market that they abandoned was the, uh, the custom fastener market, the special order stuff. So that's where Wyandotte got its start, believe it or not, making parts that look relatively simple. Nuts, uh, slotted nuts, lug nuts, different types of jam nuts.
0: What were they using, Acme's?
1: Yeah, yeah. And my grandpa liked the Acme's, and he his original machines came out of a junkyard. <laughs> pulled them, they were Model G's, and he pulled them out of a junkyard and fixed them up good enough to run. The Model G's didn't even have a loop system other than uh, pipe cleaners. They would run, the lube oil would drain off of pipe cleaners onto components inside the machines so what
0: model acmes are these what
1: that was the model g
0: what size
1: that would have been uh two and a quarter uh two and five eighths. they had a strange gearbox you know that, like i said they're kind of before my time But <laughs> i hear about the story six about spindle yeah uh four and six spindle there was a lot of four spindles back in those days it, it these machines were Well, if you know an inch and a quarter RA-6, it has a gearbox that's on the side of it. Well, these machines, there were two and five-eighths machines that had a gearbox on the side, just like that inch and a quarter RA-6 that people use. Okay. You know, I'd hear about it from, you know, when I was a younger guy, the older guys would be telling me about these machines, and I actually have a picture of one. So I'm seeing it, and I'm like, wow. So that's a... A concept that, that had been around for many years, uh, having the gearbox on the side of them, the Model G. Interesting. So he went from Model G to Model R, and then from Model R to Model RA, and then to Model RB. When I started here, we were into Model RA, Model RB, and the consensus was, wow, you got an RB. <laughs> You've know, you got Cadillacs, you know, because you have the spindles with tapered roller bearings, the, the old ball bearing spindles were good. Uh, they lasted a long time. But when they finally went, they, they went. They, you were in trouble. And they were a hard, hard bearings to find. They were costly. Um, and there's no adjustment. I always
0: find it strange, though, how, like, Acme's had the ball bearings and then Wickman's started with the tapered bearings and then they changed to the ball bearings later.
1: I wonder if it's just the nature of, with Acme's, how people have a way of just running them forever, mm-hmm. and the nice thing about the tapered roller bearings is they're very well suited to be ran forever, and if you need to get just a little bit out of them, you can find a way to get a little bit out of them. I had a 3.5 RB6 from about 1945 in here. and wow was in the nineties, probably late nineties. And this thing had never had spindle bearings and and wherever it ran, it had ran for so many years that there was actually a gap in between the spindles, a big gap, probably about a quarter inch between the spindles and these, these bronze seats that the spindles sit in. And this machine had ran wherever it ran. It must've ran just day and night for who knows 40 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. So we finally get it and these bearings are just trash. You know, and we decided to get rid of the machine because the spindles are so expensive to fix, and the machine just wasn't attractive enough to really want to put that kind of money into it. But okay, the taper bearings, uh they that little bit of adjustment sometimes that can get you
0: through. So, so you think that the reason the reason it's synonymous with acme's is basically because the acme's are meant to last fifty years. So even if, I mean, are they less accurate than ball bearings?
1: You know, God I've heard that's a this is a question that I have asked I've asked a lot of people this question.
0: Less rigid, I think. Or I, I mean they're more rigid than ball bearings. The
1: story I get the story I get I've gotten over the years when I've asked people about this is, you know, I've heard stories about how great like if you got an acne that had these old the older style bearings if you got one that was in great condition, then you had you had something. You had a machine that <laughs> c- it could last for years. But I, I've heard I've heard the story of well, they I've heard they don't make them anymore. Um, they're hard to get. I've heard stories like that where, where the Timken tapered roller bearings are a lot more readily available. Okay, so it might be a case of is is, is are these a standard part? You know, how standard of a part are they? You could see with an Acme, um, when you're dealing with a bearing and a spindle that lasts for, you know, 50 years in your larger machines, um, 40 or 50 years if well lubricated, there's not much of a market to sell them. Yeah. The problem is, is who's going to make them if there's not much of a market to sell them, if people aren't changing them all the time? I, so I think right. that finding a supplier that could make the spindle bearings and uh, supply them. I think I would think that that definitely probably came into play. there. So,
0: okay. So that, that brings me to the question, your company, uh, are all your multi-spindles Acmes? I mean, I know you have some other equipment.
1: Um, we have, we have a few Davenport's too. Mm -hmm. We, we used to buy our, davenport parts from a supplier down the street and we kind of saw the writing on the wall with them uh, probably 15 years ago that they probably weren't going to make it Mm -hmm. you know they they really didn't go out of their way to to get the certs that you need to have nowadays you need all these certs
0: certs you mean certifications
1: yeah yeah if you want to sell parts to good customers customers that Pay you on time and even pay a, a fair price for your product and, and hey you know there there's exceptions on that, I'm sure, but our consensus is that our customers asked us to get these certs we had to get these certs if we wanted to keep them as customers, so we have to be audited every year for those certs so this shop down the street that was making, you know, they didn't have the certs, and we really didn't give them enough business, you know, to keep that their doors open. So their business was dying off and they they did a good job of supplying us. They were a very cost-effective supplier. They were smaller than us, you know. Your mom and pop shop that, you know, they're cheap. They don't uh-huh. put any money, mu- they don't spend much money. You know, they can sell you parts for cheaper than you can make those. And so we use them for a lot of years. And when we saw it coming to an end, we started getting into the Davenports. We don't want to be huge into the Davenports because we feel, at least I feel, a Davenport's a machine that takes more skill to set up. Than an Acme? Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. They're higher maintenance than an Acme. They require more repair. Yeah. Changing out bearings more frequently. They're finicky. Um, You can't just... You can't throw some gnarly job into them or a chip monster into them. They're pretty well suited for running the, the milder steels, and brass, and some of the non-chippy aluminums where you're not having a chip issue. And they're fast. And they've, they've come out with some, some better designs. I, you know, They've come out with some better spindles with you know, better bearings. But we're, we're not there. Would
0: you rather have a 7-16ths or 9-16ths Acme? Than a Davenport?
1: No, no, um, you know, we just didn't go that direction. I don't know, you know, I, I kind of feel like there's not a lot of parts out there for those Acmes.
0: It's not the same kind of part that you'd run on a Davenport?
1: We, we like the Davenports. We felt like they have offered, they offer a lot of attachments that are affordable.
0: Ah, yeah, that's true
1: so you've got these affordable worth and acme the attachments aren't so affordable and davenport has this all these attachments that you can afford they're 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 really good for what they do mm-hmm. it's tough to uh it's tough to beat them for what they do the hard part with the davenport is finding people that can work on them that are good at working on them not easy to find that that aspect that's for sure and acme a a simpler machine
0: Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast Podcast? If so, please send us an email at Swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's Swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. So you're you are in let's let's go back. You're in uh Wyandotte, Michigan? Yeah. So that is, uh, it's a suburb of Detroit? Yes. Okay. And so?
1: We, we to
0: go back. Yeah.
1: We, we started off in, in fasteners. And for many years, we made you know, specifically fasteners. We really, like, we have what we call fasteners, which are nuts, typically. Mm-hmm. And we have what we call screw machine parts, which... You now that could be pins. It, it it could be bushings. It it could be fittings. You know, we call those screw machine. Why parts. why
0: aren't fasteners screw machine parts?
1: Um, we just didn't classify them.
0: But you still make them on screw machines.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the difference was is is we we considered fasteners easier part nuts easier parts to make. Okay. Although. You'd be surprised. I mean, when we outsource, like we over the years we've outsourced some of our fasteners to screw machine houses, and it's amazing how how bad they struggled to make these parts that we would look at them and think these are pretty simple parts. Mm-hmm. So they have they had their own share of you know you, you take this special nut and you know it's a uh, it's made out of forty one forty and it's gnarly and you send it to some screw machine house and they're used to making everything out of 12L14 and all of a sudden it's like they've hit a brick wall. You know, it's, it's a totally different kind of struggle than the struggle that they're used to dealing with. So even though the parts were simple, the parts had their fair share of challenges.
0: Okay.
1: And, um, we make some, you know, nuts that, Hey, you know, the, the quality has to be there in the products. The customers are not messing around. Believe it or not, customers could nitpick on things like uh, they want the chamfer on each side of that double chamfer nut to to, meet a certain spec and look a certain way. And they're not kidding. Yeah. You can't have a batch of parts where some parts have a huge chamfer. Some parts have hardly any chamfer. These are the problems we ran into with typical screw machine houses when we tried to source those parts is they they did not understand that. You know, the aspect of consistency. But anyway, what happened? We started in in the late 90s. I think the fastener business wasn't as strong as it had been for many years. We called it. It was a niche market. And it wasn't as strong as it had been and we decided hey you know we're gonna have to become more of a general job shop we're gonna have to start making screw machine product Mm -hmm. so that's what we started doing we started making parts that were different than the parts the typical parts we were used to making so our people they're used to making all these fasteners and they know how to make these fasteners well all of a sudden you start throwing jobs at them that they're not familiar with and they start making mistakes Mm -hmm. just like the general screw machine job shop could make mistakes on a lot of our parts that we found easy to make. So what did
0: you do about that?
1: Oh, we improved over the years. Um, There was a learning curve and our people, you know, they got used to making things round parts, you know, parts with all these you know, fancy profiles and believe it or not, you know, like when, and, in my early years here, it wasn't unusual for there to be a shave. If we had 35 machines out there, there might only have been two shave holders out there running at once, where a shave holder is a pretty standard aspect of a screw machine. Um, When you go into the world of screw machine parts, you're using shave holders with regularity. So we had to learn how to use things that you know things like a shave holder you know more shave holders figure out what type of shave holder did we like uh, uh training our employees uh what was good about the new way of, of doing things mm-hmm. we we were simple when we were just a fastener company we were simple how we did things we had things set up simple and it was my grandfather's way of if you're simple then your machines are never down problem was is when you're that simple and you have more 2nd ops opt-on parts, customers did not want to pay for that. So you lose work. Mm-hmm. We had to become more uh, sophisticated on our screw machines. We had to do more. We, we went from how we made nuts for many years is we just produced blanks. We produced multiple blanks off a screw machine. So we... We might have produced two parts at a time, two nut blanks at a time or three nut blanks at a time off six and eight spindle machines. And then those parts would go to secondary and they'd get finished process. They would get back chamfered. They would get tapped, all that. So the machines were pretty plain Jane. So we went from making nuts that way to making nuts where we back chamfered them and we tapped them right on the screw machine. So more along the lines of how a general screw machine house would do things. Believe it or not, I, I over the years I would get calls from screw machine houses. One of them down the street, they're asking me, they're picking my brain for how do you how do you make multiples off of a screw machine? You know, because we knew pretty well how to make multiples.
0: Multiples? What is multiples?
1: Cutting off more than one part at a time.
0: Oh, uh, like double feed out.
1: Uh, We didn't double feed out. We would feed out all the stock at once and and we would form, you know, two or three nuts at a time and we would drill multiple nuts and we would cut off multiple nuts per cycle. We would use things like combination drills and that was how how we managed to do that. It was a more complex way to make nuts. Operators struggled more, Uh, you know, your guys from other shops, when they came into your shop, they weren't compatible because your way of doing things was so different than what they were used to doing. Mm -hmm. But this was my, one of my grandpa's ways was we're going to just put out simple nut blanks off the screw machine. We're going to put them out in multiples. We're going to get those blanks over to secondary. We're going to finish processing them
0: and we're going to finish. Right. And that worked at the time, but then as time goes by, you have to make parts faster, more efficiently if you're going to keep making money and beating the competition
1: well i think what we saw is we saw an improvement in tooling technology you know we saw the carbides and things like that came out so it allowed us to you know get better cycle times that drop at running just a single part at a time and when we were able to get those better cycle times then we could do things like put a countersink in the back of it tap it and don't get me wrong there are some customers where we still put out blanks because Maybe the product has to be uh, threaded after heat treat or even threaded after plate.
0: So who are your, who are your main customers? Automotive, AG?
1: Well you know, a small amount of af- a lot of aftermarket. You know we, we sell aftermarket, we sell aircraft, we sell defense, we sell heavy equipment.
0: And all that stuff. how I mean so so what machines do you have besides AcMEs?
1: Well, we have uh, Mazak Lays. Mm-hmm. That was another market that we went into. I think, you know, in the beginning, I think the idea was, was to be able to make the smaller volume product. You know, the problem with an acne, somebody sends you an order for, you know, 1,500 parts, and it requires uh, two form tools, a shave tool, you know, uh, a specialty reamer, all this you know, a couple thousand dollars in tooling to get the job off the ground. Yeah,
0: and a bunch of time to set yeah. it up.
1: Oh, yeah, days worth of time you're burning. And talent. And, it set up. and you could throw that into a single spindle lathe, and okay, maybe it takes, you know, if the acne could put out the part and say, I don't know, 25 seconds, and then that's probably slow for, you know, that's slow sounding for your average screw machine guy, but this is a screw machine house where, we're not typically running the softer steels. Okay. So 20, 25 seconds is pretty run of the mill in this place um, because we're not, we're not flying through free machining stuff. But let's just say it ran at 30 seconds on an Acme. Well, completed, it, you know, runs off the Mazak at, I don't know, maybe 75, 80 seconds, but you're looking at. that's not
0: that much different. I mean, well, it's twice as much, but it's not five times as much. Well,
1: well the cost, you know, take the cost of tooling, you know, per part. The nice thing about a CNC lathe is you're dealing with standardized tooling, you know, that's sitting there. So that uh, was a pretty big cost saving. When did
0: that When did that change for you guys? When did you start going to Mazak's?
1: bought our first Mazak back in uh, 2008, mm-hmm. no, 2009, fall of 2009. I bought that machine out of New Jersey. I, I bought it. It was funny. Airfare was 800 bucks if I flew directly to New Jersey. So I took a flight to Baltimore <laughs> that dropped me, that, that connected in, in Trenton, New Jersey. So I, I got off in, or you know, I think it was Trenton. It was either Newark or Trenton. I can't remember. And so I just got off the flight, <laughs> picked up a rental car, and, and I was there. You know, and that flight was $180 versus, you know, paying a fortune for a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked at the 1st Mays Act. I sent it over here, and um, that machine was just a simple two-axis lathe. I learned how to how to run that machine. Had a guy in the front office, one of our sales guys. He he came out of a Mazak place, and he actually he knew a little bit with programming enough to kind of tell me some of the basics, you know. And that was helpful because with a Mazak, once you understand the basics, then it's like you know you're. You just take it from there. It's not not a very hard machine to learn. I didn't find it a hard machine to learn you, at all. So why
0: do you? I'll just go back to the the story. You, you you specifically remember the price of the the airfare? Yeah. I mean, the amount of money this machine must have made for you must have. Uh, you know, the airfare is pretty insignificant, when you say? Oh
1: no! Oh, you know it
0: that's not that's not how you think,
1: no, 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 you have to think you know every every decision you make and every aspect of of your living when you're operating a business, you always have to think cost conscious you know the moment you get lazy like that and and you're okay with just throwing money away it 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 doesn't matter if it's your money or if it's someone else's money mm-hmm. um, you owe it to who you work for to to care about their money you know it's it's about being ethical you know in in my book and it doesn't matter you know how much money your boss has or or whatever i've heard people you know make say things like well they have a lot of money so it doesn't matter
0: see but i mean couldn't you could also say uh i mean we're just getting philosophical here but i mean you could also say well the amount of time it took me To take that extra stop, I could have been back at the shop earning, earning my, you know, my money by managing what was going on, et cetera.
1: I had the shop running pretty smooth.
0: On the next episode of Swarfcast.
1: How I relate to our employees, you know, I understand what it's like to, or or, (laughs) I understand how it feels to be broke. I understand what it's like, uh, I, I, I understand their pain, so I, I, I'm sympathetic to them, I, I want to help them, I want to see this company uh, win, I want to win for them, most likely there probably is plans here uh, for me long term, hey maybe this business wants to be in business for 100 years.